Well, good morning. Good to see everybody this morning. I hope you've had a blessed week. Uh, glad to have you in worship this morning with us. Glad to have those of you who are online with us there, whether you're on Facebook or Twitter at HBC Tullahoma or YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, uh, our phone live streaming. If you want that number, give us a call at the church office. It's 931-455-0645. If you're here in person, uh, let me know and we'll be glad to give you that number so you can share that uh, with others. Uh, we are trying to keep that guarded just a little bit more than what we did with our previous number uh, because we had a lot of extra charges with that. Uh, let me also, while you're there online, encourage you to go to our church website, highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab there that you can download the worship bulletin, so be sure uh, to get that downloaded for today. Uh, there's a lot of announcements of things that are upcoming. You've also got the children's worship bulletins. If you're here in person and you need one of these, they're in the windowsill uh, to my right. And then also under that same info tab, you can download the prayer list and encourage you to take the time to do that as we have several that are on our prayer list that we want to remember in prayer today. Are you glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. Amen. We are too. Brother Mike, come and lead us. For those, those of you that want to join us in the songbooks, it's hymn 138. The rest of you? You know where it's located. Why don't you join us in, by standing and join the choir and let's sing 138.
And as we come to our time for our prayer about our missionary, uh, our missionary moment, uh, we want to be praying for Jack and Prina. I'm not even going to attempt to try to say their last name, if you can see it there in your bulletin or on the screen. Uh, they are serving in Japan, uh, and they have been, God has been using them, uh, preparing them to open the doors to share the gospel with people all around them and entire families. Last year, uh, they celebrated uh, God's answer to four years of prayer uh, when a grandmother and her granddaughter uh, came and publicly professed their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. And so we want to pray for Jack and Prina and their ministry there uh, in Japan. Uh, but we also this morning uh, want to remember all of those who have given the ultimate sacrifice as we uh, remember Memorial Day this weekend. And so as we hear uh, TAPS here with this video, would you please go ahead and stand? Once TAPS is finished, you can be seated and watch the remainder of the video. The sight before us is that of a strong and good nation that stands in silence and remembers those who were loved and who in return loved their countrymen enough to die for them. Yet we must try to honor them, not for their sakes alone, but for our own. And if words cannot repay the debt we owe these men, surely with our actions, we must strive to keep faith with them and with a vision that led them to battle and a final sacrifice. Our first obligation to them and ourselves is plain enough. The United States and the freedom for which it stands, the freedom for which they died, must endure and prosper. Their lives remind us that freedom is not bought cheaply. It has a cost. The willingness of some to give their lives so that others might live never fails to evoke in us a sense of wonder and mystery and how they must have wished in all the ugliness that war brings that no other generation of young men to follow would have to undergo that same experience as we honor their memory today let us pledge that their lives their sacrifices their valor shall be justified and remembered for as long as god gives life to this nation and let us also pledge to do our utmost 
to carry out what must have been their wish that no other generation of young men will ever have to share their experiences and repeat their sacrifice. to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much. Lord, thank you for those who have paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy in this nation. And Father, as we remember and even celebrate uh, this weekend, Father, help us not to forget uh, the cost that they paid. Uh, Lord, I pray that we will remember each and every one of them that we will uplift their families in our prayers. Father, we pray that you will embrace them and, and shower them, Lord, with your grace and your mercy. And Father, I thank you for all that you have done for us in showing us that great example that we all must live by of giving ourselves for our brothers and our sisters. Father, as Christ gave himself for us. And so, Father, we pray your blessings upon our nation we pray, God, your blessings upon our military. We pray your blessings upon the families of those uh, who have lost their loved ones. And, Lord, we pray for our missionaries and ask, Lord, that you will continue to bless them, provide opportunities for them to share the gospel. Lord, continue to bless us that we might be a blessing to them financially as well as through our prayers. And, Father, we just pray that you will direct us and lead us and guide us in all of our ways that we might glorify and honor you. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let me remind you, especially if you're there online, that you can go to our church website at HighlandBaptistChurch.com. Uh, go to the far right-hand side. Do your online giving there. You can do that in person also. Or you can pick one of the envelopes out from the pew in front of you and put those in the offering plate. Uh, and then let me just remind you of a couple of quick things. Uh, Vacation Bible School uh, is coming up. We're doing our kickoff this Saturday. Uh, so if you can come and help us in any way as volunteers, it'd be greatly appreciated. But it, for kids, uh, there's going to be food, fun games. There's going to be a color walk run. Uh, that's going to be at 6 to 7.30. We're going to finish with the color run. Uh, and so you come and, and join us with that time that we're going to have of celebrating and kicking off our Vacation Bible School that will begin not this Monday, but the next Monday, uh, June 6th through the 10th from 6 to 8.30. Uh, you can go to our church website or you can go to our Facebook page uh, and you can pre-register there online. Uh, if you have not placed your order for your t-shirt, uh, the time for guaranteeing that if we can get those from Lifeway has passed. But if you still want one, uh, you can pull out your phone, open your camera, uh, even from the back farthest parts of the balcony, you can do this. Uh, open your camera, hold it up over this QR code. It'll bring up a little uh, thing on your screen just touch it. You can fill out there uh, the, the form for ordering a t-shirt. Uh, we did order some extras, so hopefully we'll have the size uh, that you're needing. So uh, you may find that, I'm not sure if we had that in our bulletin this week because we finished that uh, regular order from Lifeway for them. But uh, looking forward to this coming week. A lot of great things that are uh, coming up with Vacation Bible School uh, and some of our youth trips and our children's trips that are coming up with camp. Uh, you'll hear some more about that a little bit later. But 
uh, again, glad to have everybody here. Brother Mike. Let's all praise the Lord by singing 447, Trust and Obey. Join the choir as we sing this. Ms. Rima. about Children's Church. We'll be meeting on the piano side over here during this next song. Next song is All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name. It'll be hymn number 202. And would you stand with the choir and with myself as we praise the Lord with this song. All Hail the Power of Jesus' Name.
Well, take your Bibles this morning, if you will, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew chapter 13, uh, as we're continuing our walk through the life of Jesus uh, and seeing his ministry and hearing some of uh, his words that he has to share with us. And so Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 through verse 50, I've entitled The Treasure, The Pearl, and The Net. And you're going to see how all three of these uh, tie together uh, this morning. And so uh, Matthew chapter 13, verse 44 is where we're going to begin. So if you will, let's stand in honor of his word for the reading of his word. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you so much this morning for uh, being in our presence. For we know that you have promised where two or three are gathered together, you are there in the midst. And Father, we know that your spirit is present with us today. Speak to us in our hearts, Lord. Reveal to us your truth. Lead us and guide us with the light of your word and, and, and the lamp unto our feet, the light unto our path. Father, I pray that you will use it to guide us in everything we say and do. Lord, uh, help us to understand these three parables this morning and their application for where we are today in our hearts and our lives. And I pray, God, that when we leave here this morning, Lord, that if there is even one who doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation for them, that they would come to faith in Christ, in whose name we pray, amen. You can be seated. When you come to this part in Matthew chapter 13, we find that Jesus shifts here in these verses from talking about the eventual worldwide impact of the kingdom to talking about the parables of the treasure, the parable of the pearl, and the parable of the net. And each one of these begins with the kingdom of heaven is like. And I want you to understand what that means. The, the kingdom of heaven means the same thing as the kingdom of God. It means eternal life. It means salvation, what happens in the spiritual realm uh, of eternal life and, and salvation. And so what we're getting in these verses that Jesus wants us to see is, if you will, it, we're getting a peek behind the curtain, if you will, into the kingdom of heaven. And so notice in verse 44 here, we see the buried treasure, the buried treasure. And this is a one-verse story, uh, kind of like our last one was uh, last Sunday night. Uh, this is a one-verse story. It's awesome how Jesus can take just one little statement and pack so much truth into this one verse. Uh, we've been looking at the parables of Jesus here in Matthew chapter 13, and, and there are seven parables that Jesus tells us in succession, one right after the other. And in these parables, Jesus tells us what's going on here on this earth between his first coming and his second coming. Now, I think it's important for us to see how Jesus told these stories because there's a simple little interpretation here or explanation that'll make a lot of sense to us. The first four of these parables that we've looked at were given to the multitudes of the people 
at large. In fact, in the first two verses of Matthew chapter 13, Jesus, you remember, is teaching by the seaside. Uh, and he's teaching to this great multitude of people, and he actually has to get out into a boat to, to press out just a little bit because everybody's pressing in on him. And so verse 2 and verse 3 says this, And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and, and sat down, and the whole crowd stood on the beach, and he told them many things in parables. So if you get the idea of the situation and the, the setting here, Jesus is on the shore of the Sea of Galilee. It's almost like there's an amphitheater, if you will, uh, of the hillside that kind of makes a, a bow shape, if you will, on the hillside there near Capernaum. Uh, and that's probably where Jesus was, was preaching and telling these parables. It was just a natural amphitheater there that he could move out just a little bit and he could speak into that group and you could hear the echo, you could hear Jesus' voice. If you remember our study uh, before on the archaeology uh, in the life of Jesus, you'll remember that there was a video that we looked at that, how uh, one of the gentlemen was down by the seashore and the other one went way up on the hill and he spoke with just a, a normal voice and he could hear him uh, over 100 yards away from him because of that kind of natural amphitheater setting. And so he's speaking to the great crowds here, and he's talking about these first four parables. He told four stories here to these multitudes, and then you come to verse 36 in this chapter, and notice what Jesus does after he gives those first four parables. Notice in verse 36, it says, and he left the crowds and went into the house, and his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. And he answered and said unto them. So notice we've got a change here from the multitudes now to just his disciples, to this smaller group. Not the multitude, but the disciples who had come into the house. The first four parables, Jesus speaks on the seaside. The next three, he speaks to these disciples in the house. And so that's very important for us to understand. The first four of these parables uh, Jesus gave to the multitudes gives us the outward picture uh, of, of the age that we live in. These are the things that are observable. Uh, these are the things that everybody can see. And so if you remember those parables, he uses common everyday uh, things that they would know uh, what that physical aspect of it meant, and then he would apply a spiritual truth to it. Uh, for instance, the parable of the sower. Uh, and, and you remember that only one out of the four soils uh, was profitable. The parable of the wheat uh, and the tares and, and how there were pr the presence of tares or weeds in the midst of the wheat. And he was telling them that judgment is going to come one day when the harvest is put in. And he says, then will the wheat and the weeds or the tares be separated. The third parable... Uh, was the parable of the mustard seed that became a tree. And, and that was talking about when the church uh, becomes more interested in tree growing than it does in seed sowing. And then the fourth parable was the parable of the leaven, uh, the leaven of false doctrine uh, that's even planted within the church. And so when you look at those four you might begin to feel a little bit gloomy and depressed. It's rather a pessimistic view of, of, God, of what God's doing in this world. But when you go behind the scenes and you look at these next three parables that Jesus addressed specifically to his disciples, you find out what God is really doing in this world. Now, I don't know if you've learned it yet or not, 
But sooner or later, I hope you'll learn the truth that the storyline is really always behind the scenes. Uh, you always have to look behind history and see what God is, is doing if you really want to get the message. And so Jesus gives these three specific stories. Uh, he tells about the treasure hidden in the field. He tells about the pearl of great price. And then he tells about the great net that gathers in the catch. And in those three stories, we learn that Jesus Christ and what he is doing behind the scenes. Now, another verse I want you to pay attention to that will help us as we go through these three parables is in Paul's letter to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 33, 33, uh, we have 32. Uh, we have there in that verse a threefold classification of, of the human race given to us in that verse. So notice what he says in 1 Corinthians uh, in chapter 10 and verse 32. He says, give no offense to the Jews or to the Greeks or the Gentiles, or to the church of God. And so I'd encourage you underlining those three words because those three words, uh, the Jews, the Greeks, or Gentiles, and the church, uh, gives us the threefold division, if you will, of the human race because everybody in the human race fits into one of those categories. Uh, so think of the world today, even in the world today, there are Jews, those who are born a Jew. If you're not a Jew, then you're considered a Gentile or a Greek, as the verse is mentioning here. And then whether you're a Gentile or a Jew, if you come to faith in Christ, then you become a part of the church of God. And so all scripture is addressed to at least one or maybe even more of these particular groups. And so all scripture applies to us. So everything God has in his word can apply to us. Sometimes, though, specific things are addressed to one or multiple parts of either one of these, the Jews, the Gentiles, or to the church of God. And so these three stories, the story about the treasure in the field, the pearl of great price, and the story of the net, divide for us us, the human race, into three categories. And we're going to look at this parable, the parable of the treasure first, uh, that's hidden in the field, and keep in mind this threefold, if you will, division of the human race. So go back to verse 44 and look at that again. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, sometimes this story is interpreted by saying that Jesus is the great treasure and the man is the sinner who sells everything he has and buys the great treasure of salvation. But there's some problems with that because understand this, Jesus isn't a hidden treasure. I mean, he's well known throughout the history of the world. Jesus has been preached. His gospel is, is open uh, for the world to see and the world to hear. He's not a hidden treasure. Uh, number two, uh, the number two problem is we don't buy salvation. We don't buy salvation. We don't pay in order to earn our salvation. That's not the way we're saved. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and verse 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your, of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. And so if God should say to us today uh, that you had to pay for salvation, what in the world would you use to pay for it? Because there's nothing we have uh, that could possibly pay for our salvation. What price even uh, would you bring in order to pay for your salvation? 
We're not saved because we pay a price. We're not saved by anything that we're able to give. We're saved by the sheer mercy and the grace of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The hymn writer said it right when he said, Nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. One of the great invitation hymns that we so often sing, Just as I am, says, Just as I am, without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come. So understand that first and foremost, we don't buy our salvation. Uh, Another thing with this verse is we don't seek the Lord, the Lord seeks us. Now the Bible says that there's none that seeks God. And that's why we have to go out into the world as the church to tell people about Jesus. People aren't knocking on the door of the church. They're not breaking down the doors to to get in to hear about Jesus. Uh, The sinner doesn't seek Jesus. But Jesus seeks the sinner. The shepherd sought the sheep. It wasn't the sheep that sought the shepherd. And, And so as you look at this parable, you'll notice that there are three key ingredients in this Uh, parable here uh, that give us the basic interpretation and the understanding of what Jesus was saying. First of all there, you'll find a treasure. You'll find there's a man and you'll find there's a field. Now Jesus has already talked about the man. Uh, He's already talked about the man when he was talking about the sowing uh, in the the fields before. He's already talked about the field uh, itself being uh, the field of the world. The new ingredient is the treasure that's hidden in the field. And so the story of the man who finds this treasure in a field, that may sound strange to our ears, but remember Jesus is telling this parable in a day when treasure couldn't be stored in a, in a bank or, or in safety deposit boxes or protected there. Instead, people would simply bury their greatest treasure in a remote place. And this particular treasure had apparently become forgotten, even by the owner of the field. And so this man who found the treasure, he went and sold everything he had to buy that field, knowing that it was worth more than everything else he owned put together. Now people may have thought, man, this man's crazy. What is he doing this for? But he wasn't crazy. He was wise and he was happy because he knew he had found something that was worth losing everything for. In the previous parables in this chapter, Jesus has specifically identified the man as Jesus himself, as the Lord himself. In in the previous parables, uh, the field has been clearly identified as the world. And so the man is the Lord, the field is the world. What is this new ingredient? What is the treasure that's hid in the field? I'm going to give you the answer. I believe that Jesus was referring here to the nation of Israel when he talks about the treasure hidden, hidden in the field. So let's first of all think about Israel's favor with God. Israel is indeed a special treasure with God. If you look at Psalm 135 verse 4, Psalm 135 verse 4 says this, For the Lord has chosen Jacob for himself, Israel as his own possession or special treasure is what some of the other versions say. So God says right here, Israel is my special treasure. 
God chose the nation of Israel. The scripture says that Israel has a unique relationship with God. In fact, in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament, Paul lists about eight special privileges uh, that, that belong to the nation of Israel. And he points out to them uh, the, the, that was given to them, those things were given to them in the covenant. And so he, he points out that God specifically made these promises to the Jewish people which will be fulfilled. So the, I believe the nation of Israel is God's chosen treasure. If you go back to Exodus chapter 19 and verse 5, it says, Now therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, remember he's speaking to the nation of Israel, you shall be my treasured possession or a peculiar treasure unto me among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And so notice there, Notice what he says. Israel is a peculiar treasure, a treasured possession. And then right after that verse, God says, for all the earth is mine. That's an interesting statement. Because when we look at the world, sometimes we wonder what in the world is going on in this world. And we wonder what in the world is happening is everything going to pieces? I mean, we, we have to always keep in mind, though, that God says this earth is mine. God has claimed this earth and Israel in the earth as his particular treasure. So God intended the nation of Israel to be a blessing to all the nations. God said to Israel all the way back in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 12 and verse 3, he said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now ultimately we know that that was to come about through the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who would come from Israel. God meant for the Israelites to be a blessing to the entire nations of the world. Israel has become like a treasure though, hidden in the field. You see, God always intended for Israel not to be a reservoir just taking in the blessings, but to be a pipeline to receive the blessings from God and to be a blessing to the peoples of this world. God said, through you I will bless all the nations of the earth. Billy Graham once preached and said this. He said, keep your eyes on Israel. What happens in Israel is the key to history. It's also the key to peace in the world. And so in this parable, Jesus says there's a treasure hid in the field, Israel's favor. But notice Israel was placed in this world to bring glory to God, but it failed. It became a nation hidden. It became a treasure not being invested to produce the blessings for God. Jesus Christ, notice what he does. Jesus gave his all to purchase the whole world to save this nation. If you remember what Caiaphas said, uh, Caiaphas said this, he was the high priest uh, that year in John 11, verse 49. Uh, John 11, verse 49 says, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all. Verse 50 says, Nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. So he was speaking to the Jewish leaders, and he was saying, We need to get rid of this guy rather than having the whole nation perish. And so what verse 51 says, though, is he did not say this of his own accord. But being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Notice that. Not for the nations, but for the nation. 
That's Israel. And then notice verse 52. And not for the nation only, not for Israel only, but also to gather into one the children of God who are scattered abroad. That's the rest of the world. So on the cross, Jesus died uh, for the whole world, but in a special way, he died for Israel. The nation suffered judgment and seeming destruction, but in God's sight, it is hidden, and one day will be, will be revealed again in glory. So not only... Do we see the failure of Israel? We also see a future for Israel. We see Israel's future. Notice at the end of verse 44. At the end of verse 44, he says this. Then in his joy he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Now, politically speaking, the nation of Israel was reborn on May the 14th, 1948. But Israel is far from what it ought to be spiritually. And so God sees Israel as his treasure that one day he's going to establish Israel in her glorious, king, in, in her glorious kingdom. And God has a plan and he has a purpose for the nation of Israel. He's right on course. He's doing exactly uh, what he, and knows exactly what he's doing. Uh, there's a cross, though, in that statement. Notice what he says there. He says... Then in his joy, for joy, it reminds me of Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2, where the Bible says about Jesus, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. Do you know what the joy of the cross was for Jesus? It wasn't that Jesus was taking joy in the pain. There was no joy in that. It wasn't that Jesus was taking joy in the humiliation. There also was no joy in that. But when Jesus Christ was dying on that cross, he realized that he was paying the price for our redemption. He realized that he was paying the price for us to be saved. In fact, he was looking down through the centuries, down through the millenniums, and he was seeing every lost soul who would have an opportunity to be saved. And for the joy, the joy of people being saved, our Savior Jesus went to the cross. When Jesus went to the cross, he paid the price for salvation. He gave literally everything he had on that cross, just like we see in this parable. The one who finds the treasure goes and sells everything he has. But notice, it doesn't say that he bought the treasure. The treasure, we said, was Israel. It doesn't say that he sold everything and bought the treasure. It says he bought the field. Remember, he hid the treasure in the field, and he goes and he buys the field. He was interested in the treasure, but he's also interested in the field. Who did we say the field is? We know that from the previous parables. That's the world. And so when Jesus died on the cross, he died for the people of Israel, yes, but the love of God is so vast and so large that the Bible says that Jesus paid the price so that the whole world could be saved. He purchased a field. Now, that means uh, that, that anybody who wants to be can be saved. 
How are Jews saved? Jews are saved just the way anybody else is saved. How can you be saved here this morning, even if you're watching there online? You're saved on the basis of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Sin was a terrible debt. And sin was a terrible, terrible load. And yet our Savior, Jesus Christ, he died on that cross, paid the price, he bought the field. When Jesus died on that cross, he paid the most expensive price that's ever been paid for a piece of real estate. Our Jesus paid the price for the redemption of the world. What a powerful parable in just one verse. Then you come to the next one, and it's just two verses. So notice verse 45. We see the pearl of great price. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had And bought it. So, some similar language in this parable as the previous parable, but this parable is about the church, where the previous parable was mostly about Israel. This parable is about the church. Jesus tells a simple little story here about a merchant who's on a quest. He's trying to find some expensive, beautiful gems. He's especially interested in finding pearls. And the story that Jesus tells says that on this occasion, while this man was looking, looking for these goodly, valuable pearls, he finds one pearl of great price. Not a bunch of them, but one. It is so exquisite, it's so beautiful, it's so rare, it's so valuable that the Bible says he sells everything he has and he goes and he buys that pearl. Understand this, there are few things that are as valuable as a pearl. It's one of the most valuable gems on this earth. I mean, diamonds are expensive, but pearls are also. The word pearl is an interesting word. It means pure. A pearl also is a rather interesting material because a pearl absorbs light, but it also reflects light. And so Jesus uses this story of the pearl of great price to to teach, I think, one of the most beautiful lessons in, in all of the Bible on how wonderful it is to be saved and to know Jesus as your personal Savior. Notice the, the common ter- interpretation usually is that, that Jesus is the pearl of great price. And we know that that's a beautiful truth about Jesus. Indeed, he is the rarest of jewels. He is, he is a pearl of great price. He is indeed amongst, uh, among the among the greatest among 10,000. He's the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. But there's some problems if that's what Jesus is saying here. Again, just like the previous parable, is that we don't seek Jesus, but rather Jesus seeks us. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 11, no one seeks for God. In John chapter 6, verse 44, it says, no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them. And so we don't in and of ourselves initially seek Jesus, but Jesus seeks after us. Another thing is, like we saw before, you can't buy Jesus. Jesus isn't for sale. And so Jesus Christ is a free gift from the heart of a loving God. 
Now, this God loved this world so very much that we read in John 3, 16, He gave His only begotten Son so that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we can't buy Jesus because He isn't for sale. He's God's free gift to this world, to you and to me. Another thing is, just like the treasure in the field, even if it was, we don't have enough to pay for it. We don't have, there's no price sufficient enough to pay for our salvation. If God said to you, you had to pay for your salvation, again, the question is, what would you pay? What do you have that you could give that you believe would merit the gift of God's Son and His salvation? Let me ask you this. Aren't you glad that salvation is free? Amen. Amen. Aren't you glad that you don't have to earn salvation, that you don't have to deserve salvation? God gives the gift of salvation strictly on the basis of His grace, His unmerited favor. But now Jesus is talking about a pearl of great price. And I think when Jesus is talking about this pearl, He's giving us here a beautiful lesson of what God does when He saves an individual. Notice how a pearl is made. A pearl in and of itself in terms of substance is really not that very valuable. If you actually took a pearl and you crushed it and pulverized it, all you basically would have would be some lime dust. It's basically the same material as, 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 as ordinary chalk. It's not that the pearl within and of itself is valuable. That's not what gives the pearl its value. What gives the pearl its value is how it's created, how it's formed how it's made. You think about all the other gems in this world, uh, you know, that people consider to be valued. They're mined from the earth. You get gold out of the earth. You dig silver out of the earth. But a pearl is formed in a different way. A pearl is formed down in the depths of an ocean in a small living creature called an oyster or a mollusk. And what happens is, is that a foreign substance somehow works its way. If you've ever seen a, a, an oyster, you try to pry that thing open, it's the dickens to try to get one of those things open. Uh, but somehow this little speck of some foreign substance makes its way into that oyster. And let's just say for the purpose of, of illustration that it's a common ugly grain of sand. That grain of sand works its way into that oyster and it begins to intrude itself and it begins to irritate the flesh of that oyster. And it begins to wound that oyster, and it begins to cut away inside at that oyster until there's an ugly wound there. And then that oyster begins to do an amazing thing. That oyster begins to secrete a substance known as nacre. That nacre is laid layer upon layer upon layer on that foreign substance. Those layers of nacre had finally been laid until it makes a pearl. And so finally you come out with this beautiful pearl covering an ugly grain of sand. The pearl is the oyster's answer to that which has cut it, to that which has wounded it, to that which has hurt it. The way the pearl is formed is a beautiful picture of our salvation. There's two essential ingredients involved in this whole matter of salvation. There is the cutting and there is the covering. 
there is the cutting and there is the covering. The cutting is our part in salvation. You want to do something to be saved? All you have to be to do to be saved is to realize who you are, that you are a sinner in need of a Savior. The first qualification to being saved is that you know that you're a sinner. Not anybody here today would doubt that you're a sinner. We would all agree we're sinners. We are the irritant, if you will, in the universe. It's our sins that hurt the heart of God. It's our sins that cut even the heart of God. Our sins cut the heart of Jesus on Calvary's cross. Our part is the cutting. God's part in salvation is the covering. What a beautiful picture. See what God does to form the pearl. Just like that oyster begins to secrete that substance around covering uh, over what that grain of sand, we have a God who specializes in covering sin. We have a God who specializes in forgiving and cleansing sin. He is in the business of of healing, hurting hearts. Uh, There are people who are lonely. There are people who have hurting hearts. And our God is a God who heals the wounded heart. Our God is a God who can heal the hurting heart. There's only one who can heal the hurt in the human heart. And that's Jesus. Our God takes us as a poor, ugly, filthy sinner. And he begins to cover us with his love. And he begins to cover us with his grace. And he covers us with his forgiveness. And he covers us with his mercy. Ours were the sins. His was the sacrifice. His was the the saving. Ours were the sins. His was the blood. What a wonderful God that we serve. What a wonderful Savior is Jesus. In this parable, Jesus tells, tells you how the pearl is made. And then notice how the pearl is sought. Jesus says, there's a merchant... And he's seeking goodly pearls. He's he's on a journey. He's trying to find something that's precious, something that's of great value. Look at the words there in verse 45, the words in search of or seeking. A merchant in search of fine pearls. That tells us about what God is doing. The Bible tells us that God seeks us. The Bible says that that it's in the nature of God to seek that which is lost. You go all the way back to the book of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. You remember when Adam and Eve had disobeyed God when they had sinned against God? The Bible says that God came walking in the cool of the day and he was seeking Adam and Eve. He said, where are you? God knew where they were. He wanted them to know where they were. God's in the seeking business. You think about when Jesus came to this world. When Jesus came to this world, uh, he came to seek and to save that which is lost. Everywhere Jesus went, he was seeking after lost people. And that's why we ought to be also in the seeking business also. Uh, The closer we get to the heart of Jesus, the closer we get to the heart of the Heavenly Father, the more interested we ought to be in seeking those things and those people which are lost. The word seeking there means to go from one place to another. It means to leave one place 
and arrive at another. What a beautiful picture of what Jesus did. Because what did Jesus do? You remember? He left the glory and the splendor of heaven to come down to this earth, to humble himself in, in the fashion of, and form of a man, to come and to die for us. Notice, he left all the glories of heaven and came down to find you. Jesus Christ knows exactly where you are. Jesus knows exactly what you need. And, and he is seeking you today. You know, sometimes he seeks us with a scripture. Sometimes he uses another Christian. Sometimes God uses our, our sorrows to seek us. Sometimes God allows us to be flat on our backs where we have no other place to look but up to him. Maybe you're here this morning or watching online and your heart is breaking. Maybe in that moment you hear the gentle whisper of God. Maybe you've heard the Lord saying to you, that you need something beyond what you have. Notice that we have a Savior who knows exactly where you are. He knows exactly what you're doing and what you're going through even today. And so notice Jesus talked about how the pearl is made. He talked about how the pearl is sought. And Jesus said that when this merchant had found one pearl of great price, he sold everything he had and he bought that pearl. So he tells us that we have been bought by the Lord, bought by his blood. And so it tells us that great price that Jesus paid so that we could be saved. It tells us the high price that Jesus paid, the sacrificial price. This man in this parable sold everything he had. He sold out everything and he invested it in one pearl of great price. When Jesus went to the cross of Calvary. He paid the greatest price that could ever be paid for us to be saved. He gave everything that he had on Calvary's cross. The question is, have you thought lately about what Jesus paid at the cross? Have you thought about what he sacrificed on the cross? You think about when Jesus and went on that cross, what he went through physically... I mean, think about it. He was about 33 years old. That would be in basically the prime of, of any young man's life. He's at the very heights of his physical strength. But think about how they had beaten him that night before the cross. How they had taken a, a whip and they had scourged Jesus until it looked like somebody had taken a knife and cut on his back and there were deep gouges on his back and the blood was pouring off his back. They had taken their hands... And they plucked his beard out. Could you imagine that? And they had spit in his face. And they took Jesus and they drove nails in his hand. Have you ever stepped on a nail? It hurts. But to imagine they drove a spike into his hands and into his feet. They put a crown of thorns on his head and they didn't just gently set it there so it doesn't prick his brow, his scalp. They pressed it down so those thorns were gouging in his scalp and the blood begins to flow from his face. The blood pours so much that his eyes even probably become blinded from being obscured by the blood. For six hours... Jesus endured the physical torment on that cross. 
Imagine it's at the hot, as the hot Middle Eastern sun bears down on Jesus on that cross. Nobody ever suffered like Jesus did on that cross, and he did it for you. Jesus went through that physical torture for you, but think about what Jesus went through emotionally. I mean, physical suffering is bad enough, but emotional suffering is also bad. Think about Jesus was ridiculed. He was humiliated. He was lied about. He was made fun of. They stripped him of his clothing. He was subject to public humiliation and embarrassment, and the people around thought that he was guilty as charged. Think about that, being falsely charged. Think about what Jesus went through emotionally and and what he endured emotionally, and he was doing that to pay the price so that you could be saved. But there's a deeper level than that of the price Jesus paid. Think about what Jesus went through spiritually. Think about the spiritual price that Jesus paid on the cross. Because keep in mind that this he is the only one who ever walked on this earth and yet never committed a sin. He is the one who walked on this earth in perfect, total, complete fellowship with the Heavenly Father. And yet in that moment when Jesus died on that cross of Calvary, that fellowship with God that he enjoyed, that sweet communion that he had had with God, in that moment that Jesus is hanging on that cross, Jesus Christ became sin for us. And he cried out on that cross, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He who had never sinned, all of the sins of the world, every sin that you've ever committed and ever will commit, were laid on Jesus in that moment. What a price. That's enough to break the hardest of hearts. It wasn't just sacrificial. It was absolutely sufficient. Because when Jesus paid that price... It was absolutely sufficient. When that old pearl is finally formed in the depths and the darkness and the dirt of the sea, there's people who dive down and they get that pearl, they get that oyster with that pearl in it, and they bring it back into the light. One of these days, that pearl may adorn a king's crown or or, or be on a queen's ear. But what Jesus does is even greater. He reaches down into the depths and the darkness and the dirt of sin. And because of the price he paid, he lifts us up out of the darkness. He lifts us up out of the dirt. He lifts us up out of the depths of sin and makes us a pearl of great price that he was willing to sell everything, to give everything on the cross for you. And one of these days... When God comes to get his jewels, he's going to take those precious jewels and he's going to show throughout the ages of eternity the riches of his grace and his kindness toward us. You're that pearl, that precious pearl that Jesus has come to save. There's one final parable, and it's the net. Verse 47 through verse 50 says... Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that's thrown into the sea and gathered every fish and gathered fish of every kind. It, when it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. 
So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Same thing as we saw in the parable of the tares. At the end of the age, God is going to separate those who have trusted and believed in what Christ did for them on the cross from those who have not, those who have rejected Jesus, those who have turned their hearts and their lives against Him, those who have decided maybe even today, you know, I'm just not going to do anything today. I've got plenty of time. I can wait. This parable is about the world. It's about the Gentile. Understand that the preaching of the gospel in the world doesn't convert the world. It's like though a huge net though that you cast out a net. And that's what we've done this morning. We've shared the gospel with you this morning. The net has been cast and the net is being drug in. And one day the righteous will be separated from those who are not. And those who are not will be cast into an eternal flame of fire forever to perish. Judgment is coming. The question is, will you be ready when that day comes? Are you ready now? If you're not, I want to encourage you this morning to trust by faith in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. Powerful, powerful parables. Father, I pray that we've realized this morning that you love us. You love us beyond any love that we could ever comprehend or imagine that you would pay the greatest price that could ever be paid for us because you saw us and you treasured us in your heart. And you sent your only begotten son, Jesus, to pay the eternal price for our sin. So, Father, I pray this morning that if there are those who have heard that message of the gospel, that they would call out to you this morning and say, Dear God, I know that I'm a sinner. That's the first qualification. And I come this morning believing in my heart, not just professing with my lips, but believing in my heart that Christ died for me on the cross for my sin. I believe he was buried in that tomb and arose on the third day. And I come this morning to trust in Jesus as my Lord and my Savior and to ask you to come into my life and to save me and to help me to live for you all the days of my life. Father, if there is someone who's here this morning who's prayed something like that, maybe in their own words to you this morning or maybe even previously, but yet they've never come to publicly profess that faith in Christ, Lord, I pray they'll come this morning. Lord, there are others who, who, who may need to come because they've never followed through with believers' baptism. There are others, Lord, who you're drawing to become a part of this fellowship uh, as we seek to, uh, to do your kingdom work here in, in Tullahoma, in Tennessee, and even around the world. Father, I pray that you'll lead each and every person to make whatever decision needs to be made in their heart this morning. But first and foremost, may they know that they know that they know Jesus as their Lord and their Savior, and that you loved us so much that you can bring ultimate healing to our hearts through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Bless us this morning in whatever you do in this invitation as the net is brought in. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Brother Mike, come and lead us in our hymn of invitation. Number 134, as we stand, as we sing, will you make your way and come?
Good morning. Just a reminder, Vacation Bible School kickoff is next Saturday, 6 to 7.30 p.m. We're still needing some help Thursday and Friday night at Vacation Bible School with meals. Vacation Bible School is the 6th through the 10th, 6 to 8.30 p.m. If you'd keep that in your prayer that some of these lives, these little kids would be changed forever. Center Kids having a car wash on Sunday, June the 12th from 2 to 4 here at the school, here at the church. Well, you can tell I just got out of school. From here at the church from 2 to 4 p.m. On July the 9th, Steve Connor and myself have been working with Matt. We're going to have our first men's breakfast. More details to follow on that, but that is Saturday morning, July the 9th, the men's breakfast here at church. Prayer list, Rhonda Morris has been in our church as they worked at a CDC worker for years. She's having some health issues. Please keep her and her husband, Dale, in your prayers. Ashley Simmons is a friend of mine. He's fighting cancer. Please be with, remember these families in Texas that went through this horrific tragedy down there as they go through a time of healing. Uh, and remember all those that have lost their loved ones that we might enjoy the freedoms that we have today. Let us pray. Most gracious Lord, thank you for this time we can come to your house and study your word and praise your name. We pray for all those that are serving our country on the line, dear Lord, that your hand of protection would be upon them, dear Lord. Pray for our nation, dear Lord. Pray that our church would grow. We pray that our vacation Bible school would open the hearts of little kids and that lives might be changed forever. We ask these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. 